hey, you're listening to Chew on That. Here's what we're chewing on today. Hopelessness. It, it alienates you, doesn't it? it? It isolates you, makes you feel like you're alone. Like you're the only one living the way you're living, dealing with what you're dealing with, or struggling with what you're struggling with. Like, like your marriage is the only marriage facing challenges. Like you're the only one living paycheck to paycheck, drowning in debt, or whose kids are crazy. Like, like you're the only one worried about their thoughts or the only one overwhelmed with fear, doubt, or shame. But you know, that's one of the biggest lies the enemy tells. And, and so I wanna talk about that today in a message that we're calling, You Are Not. Alone. I think I think he was going to say alone there. And I don't know. I don't know why that just stopped all of a sudden. Anyway, hey, hi. Welcome to Chewing That. My name is Scott Eastman. I'm the downtown pastor for Life Church in Green Bay, and you're joining us for a podcast where we dig deeper into the most recent sermon from the current ser- sermon series happening at Life Church in Green Bay, and that happens to be the What to Do When You're Hopeless series. And the sermon this week is Pastor Sean's "You Are Not Alone," which was also a song. I feel like you were you were not alone. I'll find it in the break. Anyway, hey, joining me today is my really good friend Jessica Hogan. Say hi, Jessica. Hi. Hey, it's so great that you're here today. I'm very excited to be here. I bet a lot of people would recognize your face, but they probably don't know who you are by your name. Can you just tell us like what you do here? Sure. I um, work in kids ministry wherever they need me. <laughs> I was starting to work on some other stuff. I was expecting kind of a longer answer. Nope. Whatever <laughs> they tell me to do, that's what I do. I love that. I love that. I know that you're a cherished friend here on staff. And so that's a big deal. So how long have you guys been at Life Church? Oh, man. We have been here for six or seven years. Wow. I'm not sure exactly. That's crazy. Yeah. How did you find Life Church? Um, so we lived in Milwaukee for six years. And then when we moved up here, we just knew that there was something missing in our life. And, you know, people went to this thing called church. So we yeah. hopped on Google. Life Church was the first one that popped up. We went one Sunday and we've been here ever since. Wow, that's awesome. That's uh, advertisement for Google advertising. It's fantastic. <laughs> they did a great job. So you keep saying we, like who does we mean? Like who's who's the we at your house? Sure. Um, my husband, Matt, and I have two kids, um, an 11-year-old named Kennedy and a nine-year-old named Wilson. Wow. They're older than I thought they were. <laughs> they are getting 11. old. What the dickens? I know. Like that's almost driving. Practically. I know. <laughs> That's awesome. I love that. I love that. Well, like I said, we're going to talk about uh, Sean's message from this past Sunday on how um, uh, that we're not alone. And so let's just jump into and listen to that very first soundbite right now. Uh, one of the enemy's biggest strategies is to isolate us, to cordon us off and make us feel like our problems and our pain are unique to us, when in reality, Not only are billions of people dealing with those same things right now, the Bible is filled with people who did too. When, uh, when I first heard Sean talk about this, it reminded me of like when I was a kid and we would watch Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom and they would show like uh, video. Well, it wasn't video then; it was film because I'm super old. But they would show film of like lions, you know, like in wildebeest, and mm-hmm. they would try to like separate the weakest or the littlest or the youngest wildebeest from the group, so that way they could just focus on him. And I feel like that's what I imagine 
uh, the enemy, what Satan does in my life where he tries to like, I mean, I'm not a pack of wildebeest, but I feel like he tries to isolate those feelings in me, like the weakest mm, places mm-hmm. in me and like isolates those and kind of surrounds those and separates those from my confidence or my hope or my, or my joy. And then, then I just focus on that because he's focusing on that. And I feel like that's how he operates in my life. Cause he knows where I'm weak. I was just, um, I was just thinking about that, uh, this week. Cause I, there's just like stuff been happening, um, you know, at, at work and then at church and then like at home and nothing like critical, but like, there's just a bunch of stuff that added up and I started doubting, you know, um, myself. I, I, I told my wife, I feel like a failure right now. She's like, what, <laughs> why would you ever think you're a failure? Yeah. And like, I just like the devil knows that's where I'm at. Like he knows like that's how to get me down because he knows that's how he can interrupt the things that I'm working on. Absolutely. I feel like sometimes even your strengths are portrayed as weaknesses mm. when the devil is following you around and looking for your insecurities. Yeah. Yeah. You say that as though you've experienced that. Like, what are you talking about? Like, what does that mean? How does that look in your life? Absolutely. I, um, I have a lot of emotions. They all come out as crying, which is super frustrating. <laughs> I cry when I'm happy. I cry when I'm angry. And I remember praying that I wasn't going to be the girl that cried anymore. Oh. And then somebody pointed out like, that's, empathy you shouldn't be praying away your empathy yeah. yeah so just sometimes your strengths the devil can twist them and make them think you're they're your weaknesses yeah yeah no i dig that i dig that i feel like that's true i i sometimes feel like i am um a chick version of a dude mm-hmm. uh because like i i have empathy like i i feel things deeply and most dudes don't or if they do they like are really good at hiding it i'm like <laughs> lousy at hiding that and so like, I'm super empathetic. I'm super sympathetic. I'm super all the pathetics. Right. And so like, um, it's, it, but you're right. That's a strength. Like that, like people feel seen, people feel sat with, people feel heard. If you can like, you know, just this afternoon or this morning, rather, uh, we stopped at the bank, my daughter and I, because, um, she started to work for the business and I wanted to open up a checking account first so I could just pay her with Venmo. And so, um, we were working with this lady that worked at the bank and the lady got up to go with her and said, do you know this lady? My daughter's like, nope, no, I don't know her. She's like, you act like you've known her your whole life. I'm saying that's, I mean, people love that. Yeah. People love when, I mean, like now, like I'm not a crappy customer, right? I've got no reason to be crappy, mm-hmm. but sometimes I feel like, I don't know, we do that. This isn't a sermon about not being crappy to the world, but I'm telling you right now to stop being crappy to the world. But the point is, is that, you know, Satan wants to isolate us. Satan wants us to focus on our weaknesses, focus uh, on maybe even our strengths and try to convince us of our weaknesses or in other ways, just to disrupt us from the mission. His mission is to disrupt us from our mission. And our mission is to love God with all our heart, mind, and soul, to love our neighbors as ourselves and to go into the nations and make disciples of all men. And so anything that he can do to stop us from doing that, he's going to do. So if he's going to make me forget about or feel less confident in my ability to pastor or my ability to do whatever, I mean, that's good news for him, you know? And so, yeah, we, we have to start operating in a space where we're not uh, as susceptible to that as we, you know, sometimes can be. He spent the rest of his life struggling with this thorn in his flesh to make him realize how God's power works best in weakness, that in our weakness, he is strong. And it was a message that was so important because we all struggle with weakness. 
we're constantly under attack, especially after we commit our lives to Jesus. Because before Jesus, the enemy doesn't have to worry about us for a single second. He doesn't have to assign any demonic forces to distract or destroy us because we're already distracting and destroying ourselves. But the moment we surrender our lives to Jesus, we come under attack. We become public enemy number one. Our wanted poster goes up in the post office of hell. So before Jesus, Paul's life seemed filled with hope. But after Jesus, his life often felt hopeless. Yeah. You know, it's it's like he knew I was about to say the thing that we just said because we just, <laughs> I feel like we just talked about that. But, you know, it makes me think about how like when he talks about surrendering our life to Jesus, like I feel like we say that so often in our vernacular, so often in our Christianese, that we need to like forsake ourselves and live for him, and we need to give our lives to Jesus Christ. And like I think we've got this, I don't know, iconic way of thinking about what that looks like, when in fact it means saying, I'm going to give up what I think my strengths are. I'm going to stop focusing on the fact that I think I can solve my own problems or that I'm going to be enough to get it you know, through everything. And... It, <clears throat> The thing that I find in my life is that as soon as I, the more, that's the better word, the more that I surrender to him, the more that I relinquish that control to him, the more successful I am or the mm. more, the better I am at getting things done. Yes. I, I, I'm in my weakness. I'm strong because he's strong, not because I'm strong, but because I go like, you know what? Why don't you take this one? You know what I mean? And I feel like that's, that's what he's asking for us because then I mean, that surrender, that obedience, I mean, that's what he's after, you know? Absolutely. And I feel like in my moments of weakness, that's when I turn to him more. Mm. And, you know, when I'm turning to him more and just allowing him more in my life, you know, there's so much strength in that. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, He's never let me down. Like he's never, it's never gone wrong. You know, it's never... It, a lot of times doesn't go the way that I wanted it to go or the way that I thought it would go, mm -hmm. but it's never, ever gone wrong, you know? And most times I find myself in a better situation than I thought I was going to end up in. And there's always a difficult time. Like, he's not like, I'm going to make this perfect for you and it's going to be super easy in the meantime. Like, that's never the promise. Like, the promise is, is that if you, if you chase after me and you are my child, I'll give you the desires of your heart, but if I'm truly his child, the desires of my heart aren't the things that I thought they were going to be. Mm -hmm. Like the desires of my heart aren't, you know, loft apartments or, you know, $100,000 cars or whatever. Then in fact, my desires of my heart are like, I want my kids to know that they're loved and that they're a child of heaven and a treasured child of mine. Like I, that's what I want, mm -hmm. you know, or I want people in my business to like feel like I gave them everything I had to them, that they were more family than a vendor and a client, you know, like those are, those are my desires now. And so that that's different. And so what I find though, is that, Hey, I have a 2021 Subaru Outback. That's, I mean, for Outback, it's pretty sweet. Right. And like, that's all that I need. And so like the things that I probably would have wanted anyway, I find that I end up having, I just, I stop chasing them because I'm chasing after God's will. And that's what surrendering my life to Christ has looked like. And so, and that's part of a, a, a relationship that I never, I didn't come up understanding. Like I've been in church my whole life mm -hmm. and that, that was never part of the, how it worked. Like it wasn't like I had to give up, you know, like what I think that I want or what I think that I'm going to get. So it made sense that my prayer life was one where I was like, 
you know, rubbing a lamp and hoping that God, the genie would come out and grant me three wishes, Mm -hmm. help me pass this test, help me get a car, help me, you know, help that girl like me. Like there was like stupid stuff. Yeah. And that, I mean, God's like, oh my gosh, bro, I've got so much more for you, you know, than a a past test or for you to get to the gas station before you run out of gas. He's not a genie, you know? And so, yeah. So it's easy to say, that you surrender your life to Jesus. But what does that actually look like for you in the day-to-day? Yeah, I, I dig that. Um, and so for me, I feel like it's become such a, and I'm not trying to say that I've arrived because I have not arrived. I'm the biggest idiot I know. <laughs> and so, but like, I feel like um, I feel like being real with people or being present with people. Like that's what God made me to do. And I know they didn't make everyone to do that, but he definitely made me to do that. And so like, I just do that. And so like I do that in the things, in the tasks that I have to get done. So there's, I mean, there's stuff that I need to get done for my business and there's things that I need to get done for my ministry. And there's things that I need to get done for my family. And I do those things, but in the act of doing those things, I'm not, it's not a task. It's just, um, gosh, this is a horrible answer to your question. <laughs> You're doing great. I just feel like, you know, it's not like I, I'm not in a constant state of prayer. It's not like, I'm like, Oh Lord, what should I do with this door? Should I open it or should I, you know, it's not like that. It's like, I just, my priority is to be as Jesus-y as I can. That's it. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that's it. That's what that looks like. Be as Jesus-y as I can. Mm-hmm. So like, if you see a need, you feel the need. If you, you know, if you feel like you're overwhelmed, then, then that's when I pray. Like I, later in this sermon, Sean talks about how Jesus, you know, in the night before uh, he was arrested or the night that he was arrested and the night before that he died, like he was like, he didn't have any more solutions. Right. And so he was like, I don't want to do this. So if you could just, I don't know, have there be some other way that we could mm-hmm. save the world, you and I, so I don't have to get scourged and stripped and, nailed to a cross. Like, if there's some other way that we can do this, I'd much rather, yeah, I'd much rather do the plan B. And so like, so that's, I mean, that's when I pray too, when I feel Mm -hmm. like I'm over my head or like, it's like, I, I, there's, I don't know what to do now. And then for sure I pray. And like, it's not like he says, Oh yeah, go left or go right or do whatever. But I feel a peace, Mm -hmm. you know, knowing that, you know what, I was never meant to get through this by myself anyway. The whole time I was meant to like only do it because I have been animated or, motivated by God and, you know, by the spirit. So like, that's what that looks like on a day-to-day basis. So it's easier for a guy like me, who's all scatterbrained and everything to like, yeah, I'm just going to be Jesus today. Whatever I've got to do today, I'm going to be Jesus as best as I can. Mm -hmm. And then like, I don't have to worry about all the other stuff. And he takes care of me. Like he takes care of me. And I, I worry a lot less than I used to. I love that. And so he tells the readers of this letter that he prayed three times for the thorn to be removed, but three times he was denied. And that passage of scripture, it uniquely connected him to Jesus. When he said three different times, I begged the Lord to take it away, the struggle in that scripture transported him and transports us back to the Garden of Gethsemane, where where Jesus is suffering in prayer. Suffering in prayer to the point of sweating blood. And three times Jesus prays for the cup to be removed, but three times he was denied. So in both Paul and Jesus's case, the removal request was denied. Again, I feel like 
I mean, you'd think that I would know what the next soundbite is. I totally don't. I just, I mean, like we just, I just make this up. So it's funny though, because this is the thing, right? Like this is, you know, when he's talking about Paul, you know, Paul says in one of his letters about this thorn in his side that he's been carrying for a long time and he wished he didn't have it, but he never actually names what the thorn is. Some people think it's a person. Some people think it's like an addiction. Some people think it's, you know, an illness or a sickness or a disease. And so no one really knows what that thorn is. But for us to think that by being Jesus people, by following Jesus, that somehow we don't have any thorns in our side. I mean, like if Paul has a thorn, then we all have thorns, you know, and there's things that we're just bearing. There's a cross that we're bearing. There's a thorn that we're enduring. And like, I, I, I mean, I, I dig that because it, it reassures me that it's not because of something that I'm not getting done or I'm not doing well enough that that's why I still have a cross or that's why I still have a thorn. You know, that if Paul still has a thorn and if Jesus has his cup, you know, then, well, I mean, it's okay that I've got a cup too, mm-hmm. you know? And like, cause I feel like a lot of Christians or people that are new Christians or people that are look at Christians, think that Christians like feel like they don't have any problems in the world or whatever, that if they have problems, then it's because of their faith. When in fact, that's not true at all. That our faith has nothing to do with what we can do or can't do other than just to say, you know, Jesus, I love you. Forgive me you know, be my Mm -hmm. Lord and savior. Like, I mean that, but like after that, like, of course we've got problems, you know, but our problems don't eliminate the existence of God. But I feel like unchurched people feel that way. Yeah. That life is easy. Right. Yeah. If God, if there really was a God, no one would struggle with anything. Like if God were everything that he said he was, if he was all loving and all powerful and all knowing and all timing, then no one would ever suffer. And I feel like, you know, God made it that way. Like, I think we all started that way. Like Adam and Eve, like that was mm-hmm. the, that was the deal that they got. But then they were like, oh, but I want to be as good as God, or I want to be as smart as God or as wise as God. So I'm going to do this thing they told me not to do. Mm-hmm. I hope that apple tasted really good. Yeah. Right. I hope it was like, like not just like a honey crisp, but like a honey crisp with some Fiji mm-hmm. apple in it with like, there's like a cotton candy apple and that's kind of in that thing too. Anyway. Actually, my favorite thing, I think, there's like this apple pie a la mode at a place called Not Licked Yet up in Fish Creek. I hope it was that. Oh, it was really good, though. Oh, that is the best thing in the whole world. So if you're ever looking for ways to be kind to Scott, I don't know how you didn't get that back because <laughs> the pie's hot, ice cream's cold. I don't even know how you get that back. Anyway, my point is, is that like we had that and that's what God wants from us again. I feel like that's what heaven's going to be like. Like it is going to be a place where no one gets sick and never grows old and never dies. And no one's got thorns or cups or crosses. Mm -hmm. Like that's where he wants to get us back to. And so, but in the meantime, the crap that's in the world, like this, this isn't God appointed crap. Like God's not moving chess pieces around to set us up to fail. You know, this is just the consequences of generations and millennium of like bad dudes and bad chicks making bad choices and bad decisions and being greedy and evil, right? Like God didn't create evil, you know, absolutely. E- evil happened because we were like, Oh, I want some of that apple or I want what my brother has, or I want what my neighbor has, or I want my, I mean, like when you look at the Bible, the Bible like paints this picture of like, God says, here's the, all that you need. And Oh, I, I want this though. And so like we've been making poor decisions and mean decisions and greedy decisions since day one. Mm-hmm. And then we're wondering why the world's a messed up place. And God's like, I hate that it's a messed up place. And so he said, I made it to be perfect. And then you guys didn't want it some other way. And so let's figure this out. And so we're all on this path. Humanity's on this path to make it right, to make it, you know, whole again. Mm-hmm. You know, we, I was just having this conversation upstairs with some friends on staff and we were talking about heaven and how, 
a lot of us think like heaven's like this place in the clouds where there's like gates and roads and angels and stuff. And when in fact, you know, when I think about what the Bible tells me, what eternity is like, like, I feel like there's a heaven, but like heaven, eventually the time that we spend with Jesus forever is going to be right back here in his original creation, but it's going to be perfected, Mm -hmm. right? Like he's going to say, okay, this is the point now where I'm going to say all the people that want to choose, not me. That's cool. Like it's, you totally have that choice. I love that you have that choice. I hate that you're making that choice, but here's the, here's the ramifications or the consequences of your choice. And here's these other people, right? That these are the consequences of your choice. And so at some point he's going to say, this is now, this is where it goes. And the Bible says that wide is the way, you know, of this people that made the wrong choice and narrow is the way that these people that made this other choice. And once, once he's done that, once he's not determined that, but made record of or made note of who's deciding what then he said okay let's go back to like perfect world let's go back to never get sick never grow old never die let's get back to no cups no crosses no thorns let's get back to that and that's how we end up back in this garden of eden that you know the earth was meant to be that was really long it was good though (laughs) keep going (laughs) sorry it's so funny And so he tells the readers of this letter that he prayed. Let's listen to the next one. Panic that can sap our ability to make good decisions because fear and panic can render you barely able to think, let alone pray. So what do we do? How do we continue? Well, Jesus shows us in the garden. He he doesn't avoid the hard truth of his situation. He, He doesn't ignore his pain or the pain of his friends. Like if you're ever tempted to hide your struggles from the people who love you most, just listen to what Jesus said to his own friends. He said, I'm deeply grieved, even to death. (laughs) Guys, those aren't the words of a person who's hiding his feelings. Like he was saying, my soul is sorrowful unto death. I, I mean, he may have been thinking of the words of the 43rd Psalm, my soul is cast down within me. Like he was struggling. He's in a fight. Jesus knows how the whole thing turns out, right? Like presumably, right? He and God and the spirit, they're all one dude that are three dudes. And, but they were all there at the creation and they they know how this whole thing shakes out. Like Jesus knows the end. He knows like, yeah, tomorrow you're going to die. But then like, you know, two sleeps from then, you're going to come back to life and then you're going to go back to heaven and prepare a place for us or whatever. And so like, even knowing how it ends, Jesus is still dismayed. Jesus is still grieving. Jesus is still broken. Jesus is still like sweating blood. Right. And so if, if, I mean, if the son of God does that, then, you know, we should expect that as well. Mm-hmm. And we shouldn't quit. I feel like, I feel like we're quitters. We're, we're, we're easy quitters. I had a friend uh, this week um, tell me that he um, that he quit his job and he was really fighting to get this job and really wanted the job and loved that he had a job and blah, blah, blah. And then he said he quit his job because he had to take a day off from his job to move and then they took away his weekly bonus. Like apparently at this place, like if you work the full week, you get your hourly wage plus you get $3 an hour more or whatever it is. Okay. I don't know what it is. So he lost that bonus because he had to take a day off. So he's like, oh, pfft, I quit. 
Wait, hang on, right? Like you can't quit, quit. Like I can, sure you could be mad. Like you could appeal it and say, oh, but I mean, there was the rain and the power went off and the, I didn't have the, you know, sure. Okay. Make that appeal. But like, you don't quit. You know, it's, this is like a baby in the bathwater thing, or this is like a cutting off your nose and spite of your face thing. Like you're like, like making a huge decision. You're making this ultimate decision based on a, you know, temporary or a circumstantial situation. Like this is just for right now. This is, it's not forever. And so stop making big decisions, but like, we're like that. Mm -hmm. And like, we just, Oh, it's going to be this way. Well then forget the whole thing. And I, I hate that. I guess, I guess I say that from experience because I feel like I'm that way. Like, I just, I want to take it to the furthest extreme from here. Oh, that's how it's going to be. Well then I'll just all the rest of it then. And like, we're like that, like we're quitters like that. And I, I guess I'm glad that Jesus wasn't like that. I'm like glad that Jesus wasn't a quitter because then we'd all be screwed, right? Yeah. Like I feel like, man, we'd all be in trouble. And he'd have every right to say, you know what? Change my mind, bra him out, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and, but he didn't. And I'm glad that he didn't. But I, you know, like it makes me wonder like why we want to quit so fast, you know, like what, what, a, what about this isn't worth pursuing? Yeah. And it's such a powerful image. Like I always get stuck on that line in the Bible where he's so grieved, he's sweating blood. Yeah. That's always an image that is stuck with me. Yeah. I mean, you got to be pretty, you know. How does that happen? Yeah. I don't even know. Like, I feel like you could Google it and they would tell you how this happens. I guess I've just never seen it happen. Mm -hmm. I feel like you've got to be pretty like stressed out though, (laughs) you know, for that to happen. But I just, if we, if and we, as well as Jesus, we know the end game. We know how this whole thing ends up. Mm-hmm. And so to be concerned about something that's, you know, going to be tough for a day or a week or a month or a year, like, it reminds me of a scene in A Few Good Men, which is one of the few movies that I could watch again and again and again. Like, I never get tired of A Few Good Men, mostly because um, uh, it was written by a guy whose okay. name I had for a second and yeah. now I've lost it. Sounds great. He also wrote the West wing and he wrote, um, uh, the newsroom. Mm-hmm. Why can't I think of this guy's name? Anyway, he wrote that and I love his writing. His writing is amazing. And I like Tom Hanks in that movie. Nope. I love Tom Cruise in that movie. <laughs> Tom Hanks is in a different movie. <laughs> anyway, an equally good movie. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And Demi Moore's in it. And Demi Moore was like my like high school crush. Oh, like, yeah, St. Elmo's Fire, Demi Moore. Like, oh my gosh, what are you kidding me? Anyway, in that movie, I forgot what I was going to say. Oh, yeah. So there's these two uh, Marines that are, you know, uh, arrested and are being tried for uh, killing uh, another Marine. And so he's like, hey, just take this plea deal. Like, you'll just do six months, you know, in jail. And then you're out. It's six months, Harold. It's a hockey season. You can do anything for a hockey season. And like, we use that term a lot in my family. Like, it's just a <laughs> hockey season. Like, you just got to get this done. And so we're not, it's not like we're hockey fans. I couldn't name you three teams that play in the hockey it's league. It's playoffs right now. It is. Like the Green Knights, the Great Knights, oh, of, oh, no, the Scarlet Knights. They're golden. Golden Knights are playing Montreal, the Montreal Canadiens, mm-hmm. which I feel like that's like the girl Canadians. Like, isn't that how that works? Like, I feel like Canadiens is like a, being a comedian. <laughs> Like a comedian is a dude and a comedian is a chick. And so I don't know why it's the Montreal Canadiens if it's not the all ladies team. Anyway, it's not important. Who else is playing in the hockey tournament? Um, Tampa Bay Lightning. <gasps> oh, is there, a, is, there a, is there like a Graziano that is playing? Because isn't that like a Green Bay connection? Like they're they like with the Green Bay oh, Blizzard. I don't know. Not the Blizzard. The Green Bay Gamblers. Gamblers. Yeah, it's I possible. Like, yeah, anyway, it's not important. I don't oh. know why I'm way, way off mark here. Anyway, so yes, it's a hockey season. It's a hockey season. We can do anything for six months. Like it just, 
it's just, you just got to get it done. Just grin and bear it, you know? And as Christians, we should know that I know how this ends. So I'm going to grin and bear this for a second, Mm -hmm. right? What can I learn through this? Not like, why do I have to go through this? But what can I learn through this? And I feel like that's this process of sanctification and perfection that God sometimes wants us to go through. And, you know, I think it's okay. It's okay if we know that, you know, in the end of this, it's all going to be fine. So I think we've grown so accustomed to instant gratification. Yeah. I mean, you can, I ordered something off of Amazon Prime the other day and I was super bummed that it was going to take three days instead three of two days. days. It's on Prime. Right? <laughs> what am I paying for? <laughs> you know, you can yeah. get anything truly so fast these days. Yep. Yeah. So why can't I just win? Right? Like, why can't mm-hmm. I get it when I want it, how I want it? You know? Yeah, that's good. Like, imagine what it must have felt like for them to see Jesus visibly upset. The one who'd always brought calm to their lives. The, the one who brought calm in the midst of a terrifying demoniac, a frightening storm, a crushing crowd asking for food, and two sisters grieving over their brother's death now admits to being greatly distressed. But in this, Jesus shows Just because you're counted on to always be the person of peace doesn't mean you have to hide your feelings, that you have to feel alone. Expressing your feelings honestly in difficult times, that's not a sign of weakness. That's a sign of humility. It's a sign of humanity. It's a way to invite the people you love into your life, an invitation for them to, to love you. It allows us to set aside our desire to constantly need to be in control. One of the things I feel like I've learned in these last three or four years of my faith is this idea that I don't have to pretend to be something that I'm not. That I I don't have to pretend to have it together. I don't have to pretend to, and I thought I did. I thought, especially as I started getting into ministry, I thought for sure, bro, you got to start dressing different. You got to start acting different. I mean, you might be able to be open to your wife, maybe your brother, but that's it. Like you got to shut everything else up so that everyone just sees you as this, you know, Mm -hmm. I don't know, shiny white thing. But, you know, it's funny even just saying that because like Jesus, Jesus talked about those kind of people when he was talking to the Pharisees, like you're standing here like these you know, beautiful graves that are all shiny and white on the outside, but on the inside you're rotten, you know? And so like, you should open up. And so like, I feel like this idea in me about being transparent or authentic or about being, you know, vulnerable, like that's not a, that's not a likely place for a lot of people, especially a lot of dudes to land, like vulnerability is not something you want to show. And so like, but I'm like, there's so much liberty in that. There's so much freedom in that. And there's so much freedom in just like, I'm just going to be honest with you. Like, I mean, I'm sure there's memes and sayings all over the internet about like the fewer secrets are the fewer lies that you tell, the fewer secrets you have to keep. Mm-hmm. And so like, all right, I'm just not going to, I'm just going to let you know. Right. And now it's even extended to like, cause at first it was just like, um, you know, the things I would, things that I would say out loud, but now I feel like it's even things that I, I would be normally would have been reluctant to say or to confess or share my feelings you know, like, I feel like that's still lying too. And then like, then you've got to like hide those. You've got to hide the things that you're not saying, even though you're feeling them deeply, even though you're grieved, even though you're worried, even though you're something. And so like, I can think about like situations with my wife, like things that I probably should have confessed to her, not confessed like, oh, I did this wrong, but like Mm -hmm. ways that I've been feeling like I would just not tell her. And then I would like, 
I would like hide it. <laughs> like I would like, I would clear text messages that confessed this hurt or ex- mm-hmm. express this grieving. Cause I didn't want her to know like what the, like I wasn't like hiding. That sounds dirt- exhausting. Right. I wasn't hiding dirty pictures mm-hmm. or illicit emails with somebody else. It was, I was hiding my feelings, mm-hmm. you know, and like how ridiculous, like that was a whole nother thing that I just needed to keep track of. And so, you know, just recently I just felt like I needed like, you know, I'm just going to be honest about my feelings, you know, like, Hey, when this happens, I feel this way. And so like, I don't know if what she does with it after that, that's her business. Right. But mm-hmm. I, I for sure need to share with her that. And I feel like that's true in all of our relationships, not just our, you know, our spousal relationship, but in all relationships, like just, I'm just going to be open with you. I'm just going to be honest with you because I need to stop keeping track of stuff and like trying to keep account of it. Yeah. I listened to a interview the other day with Russell Brand. Do you know who that is? I love Russell Brand. And he said that he lives by Sesame Street ethics. And that's kind of like what I've taken on. Like, you know, what yeah. they teach kids on Sesame Street. Yeah. Like those are the ethics that he lives by. Wow. Isn't that cool? Yeah. So simple, but mm-hmm. so true. Right. Yeah. I kind of feel like I'm the same way. Cause like Mr. Rogers is my jam. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I just like, whatever he says or said, mm-hmm. like, I just feel like, yeah, I'm in, I'm mm-hmm. in because he's just never wrong. And it's the simplest stuff, but sometimes it's the simplest stuff. That's the truest stuff. Yep. And again, like you might say, well, listen, I'm a corporate executive and I don't got time for Mr. Rogers and Bert and Ernie, right? Like I've got other things to attend to. You have no idea how complicated my life is. And like, well, I mean, is it though? Because if you're a corporate dude and you're a Jesus dude, the Jesus dude part trumps the corporate dude part. And in fact, Jesus was pretty plain and clear about how this whole thing works. And mm-hmm. so like, you know, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, if you haven't read it, read it, Sermon on the Mount. It, like, it tells us exactly how to be corporate dude and teacher lady and mom lady and dad dude and friend person. Like it tells us everything and they're all really simple rules. And so they are Sesame Street, you mm-hmm. know? And so it's really a simple life. And it's, I find that it's much easier to be happy in a simpler life. Like when mm-hmm. I've got less rules or less things to take account of or try to keep track of. Yeah. Or even things that you're trying to keep in. Yeah. You know, things yeah. that you're not sharing. Right. Yeah. Exhausting. Like you said, mm-hmm. exhausting. Yeah. It doesn't have to be that way. Okay. That's it. We got through them all. Yay. You did good. Did you have fun? That was fun. Yeah. See, super easy. Yeah. I loved having you here. Listen, if you uh, listen to this podcast and you loved it, we'd love it. If you would, um, rate or review the podcast on your favorite podcast platform, because then more people will see it. Like the more rates and reviews we get, the more like they show up on other people's searches. And we'd love to share this kind of uh, insight and this kind of discussion with people to let know that, let people know that Jesus is just like a thing. Like it doesn't have to be, you know, golden statues and spires and locked cages that in fact, it's really just a real world way of living out this life and to have find to find meaning and purpose in it. And so, uh, We'd love it. And we'd also love it if you would just share on social media. Like if you love the podcast, just click that little share button and uh, share it with a friend or all your friends because uh, we'd love to have more and more people be part of this. So once again, my name is Scott. This was my friend Jessica Hogan joining us today. Thanks for joining us uh, on this episode. And um, we'll talk to you uh, next time. Also, I want to tell you that there's other podcasts you could listen to uh, from Life Church, including... Um, a pastor and rabbi walk into a bar, including our sermon series, including Father Seekers. There's just a bunch going on. And so if you're digging podcasts, uh, make sure you click the way around to find other podcasts that you can enjoy that we produce right here at Life Church. We'll talk to you next time. <laughs>